0: Guys, I'm doing what every sane Pittsburgh fan is doing during the Steeler Bye Week is I'm thinking about the Pirates, because I guess that's what I always do, and before we get into the off-season here, because the World Series is still going on, the Pirates have been waiting for a month to make any realistic moves, I thought I would take this opportunity to bring in a guest, never been on the show before, but... Uh, somebody I met up with at a Pirate game back in August and said he, he would jump on. And so, guys, I'm bringing you uh, Andrew Filippone uh, from the fan, 93-7, at the Pony Express, uh, taking the opportunity to drive back home with the Steelers on the bye week and is nice enough to come and talk depressing Pirate stuff with me. Andrew, how you doing today, brother?
1: right not bad uh yeah I'm a man of my word I probably went to about a half dozen games and uh if you want to find me at a pirates game that's probably your best bet is out of that center field bar
0: yeah and it used to be better I mean I, I know Andrew you you moved to uh you moved to Pittsburgh I believe it was in 2010 so you didn't get the uh the three rivers uh stadium days where we could you know just basically pay dollars for a ticket and sit wherever we want uh the prices have gone up a little bit since then
1: yeah yeah I, I hear some great stories about three rivers and uh people doing stuff like that they would know an usher that have a friend of a friend or a family member who would get him down into great seats if you just made, made sure that you tipped him a little bit so i always love stuff like that as a uh, Look, this is a capitalistic society. People got to make their money somehow. I love a good usher. Ushers that hook it up for customers and fans. I'm always a big fan of those people too.
0: Oh yeah, man! It's and 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 there still be, might be some of those guys out
1: there, but there's a uh,
0: little bit more expensive seats, and uh, it, it's at least like I don't know about 20 bucks to get in there, unless you're buying it from a scalper on the street.
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, to be yeah. Last year, definitely.
0: yeah. Especially towards the end of the season, I mean, like when people are saying like walk up, I mean, you could walk up and pretty much sit anywhere you wanted to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And and here's the the funny thing is, is that Andrew, I I know you get like kind of like a bad rap on Twitter on, uh, the, the stuff that you speak about the Pirates, but I was even just going back through, um your Twitter feed and just search pirates. And and a lot of the stuff was just more frustration. And when you came into Pittsburgh, it was right at the end of the last rebuild and stuff started to get good. So your first few years in Pittsburgh here were, were really good for the pirates.
1: Yeah. Starting in 2011 when they were buyers at the trade deadline, And they fizzled out in August and September, but they were good for half of that season. They were right in the thick of things. They made that Derek Lee trade with Chicago. They made the Ryan Ludwig trade uh, with San Diego. And there was a lot of optimism that carried over to 2012 and the September collapse, collapse 2.0. And of course, the magical years that were 2013, 14 and 15, which did not have a ton of postseason success, but 94, 88 uh, 98 win teams. So it was fun. It showed that even as a small market or one of the lowest spending teams in Major League Baseball that where there's a will, there's a way. You can feel the competitive team, a more than competitive team. So yeah, I get nostalgic about those games. You know, It was disappointing when they would lose in the playoffs and then maybe the off-seasons didn't go the way that you wanted them to, as Pirates fans, hoping that the team would add a little bit more to those teams, but what I wouldn't give to go back in time and relive those three seasons again, because they were so great, and you you hope that the pain and the misery and the suffering that's going on right now will lead to a payoff with something like that maybe two or three years from now.
0: Yeah, and and that's where we're kind of like in that... I don't even know if I would call it a holding pattern, but it's just kind of like stagnant. When Ben Charrington came in, there was, you know, a lot of excitement, uh, a lot of just, you know, anticipation of what the future could hold, what, you know, what was going to happen. i Unfortunately, 2020 was was not good for anybody. I mean, the the pandemic year, uh, shortened season, uh, didn't get to see, you know, anybody really make up for how bad they were playing. Uh, Brian Reynolds had a down year. You know, Josh Bell, everybody. I mean, everybody had a down year all at the same time, but you thought that there was maybe, you know, something on the horizon beyond that and it's been two 100 lost seasons with pretty much the same plan or the same I guess it would be plan of attack is waiver wire pickups, reclamation projects and I mean at least a little bit more of playing the young guys.
1: Well, they didn't do enough of that last point this season for me. I thought that they should have really committed stronger to playing their young guys earlier in the year. And I thought by the time they really got going with that, Craig, it was so late in the year that people had already kind of checked out on them, unless you're a real diehard, of which there are Pirates fans that come close to watching all 162 and listening to their games and, That's great for us as a radio station because we air their games, but I'm not naive or ignorant to the fact that there just are not a lot of fans who are that hardcore. So the gains that they made in September with a lot of young guys in the lineup, a lot of fans missed out on that because they had already moved into football season. So that's kind of, in my opinion, one of the things they screwed up a little bit this last year. I mean, I didn't have any false pretenses or misgivings. I figured when Carrington got hired that he thought or would think the best thing for them would be to pretty much strip it bare and rebuild from the bottom and go from there and try to get as many young prospects through the draft and trades where you got more prospects back. Like, I, I expected that. I think what I'm concerned about Craig more than anything else is I don't know if the trades they've made for young players and the draft picks they made are going to produce the types of building block guys that they had back when they made the playoffs in 13, 14, and 15. I'm a little bit worried about that. You know, I think they had the right idea. I think that's probably the only way to win in Pittsburgh when you're committed to being a small market team. But I just, I'm, I'm really worried about the payoff in terms of the guys that they used those picks on, and the players that they got back as prospects in some of their bigger trades, Craig.
0: It's the, at one point in time, that you mentioned, uh, like, the Cleveland Guardians rebuild, um, and, and it was a very quick rebuild. I mean, it's it's pretty much been since around, like, 2018, 2019, which would be, you know, right around the time that ours kind of started, because I always tell people that Huntington started a rebuild before he left. He never finished that rebuild and then Charrington basically said, yeah, we just got to take this thing down to the studs. So, I mean, technically, if you go back to the Garrett Cole trade, the, the Andrew McCutcheon trade, um, where that rebuild was starting, then, then yeah, maybe the Pirates did start, you know, right around the same time or right before Cleveland. Um, and
1: and, 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 and I, think time, I think time has been kinder to those two trades now, they were public relations disasters. The only thing that kind of made the pain and sting of those deals a little easier for fans is that they happened in January, right when the Steelers were in the playoffs.
0: <laughs> and
1: they, it, no, it's serious. I think I want to say one of those traits happened in the middle of the Steelers Jaguars playoff game. Yeah, like that was the time you can go back and look that up. It might have been cold trade happened at the exact moment that that game was going on, but you've know, you got Brian Reynolds back from McCutcheon, and you got Joe Musgrove back in the trade. Now, Musgrove didn't really take off until he went to San Diego, his hometown, but you got a younger pitcher who was a top, maybe not an ace, but was close to a top of the rotation guy. So, in hindsight, those weren't bad trades. It was just that they did not get enough out of Musgrove and Pittsburgh, and then they flipped them again, and in that trade, they didn't get enough back, which that's more on this regime than it is on Huntington. So I'm not excusing Huntington the last couple of years. I thought he deserved to get fired. But even those moves that you know cost the Pirates a lot of fans, a lot of people canceled their season tickets, and said they'd never go back after those two deals. They were honestly, in the McCutcheon case, it was objectively a really good trade, Craig. And the Garrett Cole trade, in hindsight, doesn't look as bad.
0: Yeah, and, and that's where it's just like the, the more of the like, almost like visceral reaction and emotion from from Pirates fans and not realizing. But like with the the Cleveland Guardians trades to build their team – I, I know that Chris and I, when we talk, we've been focusing a lot on, you know, the collateral that the Pirates had uh, to make their trades. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians had Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, Lindor. The Pirates had, after the McCutcheon and after the Garrett Cole trades, which I feel like, that I mean, that was kind of like their pinnacle of of maybe they should have gotten more back, but they don't look as bad in hindsight. But, I mean, we were trading Josh Bell on a down year. We traded Adam Frazier, who had the best first half of his career, but everybody kind of knew who Adam Frazier was. We traded Joe Musgrove before, you know, we saw little bits and pieces of what he could be, but just not for an entire full season. Um, So it's just basically just not having the same collateral as as some of these teams.
1: Well, it kind of reminds me of when Huntington first took over the Pirates. He made a lot of trades. And many of those trades really did not have the intended result. For example, the Jason Bay trade. The best player the Pirates got back in that deal was Brandon Moss. But again, he didn't start to play well until he left the Pirates, until he went to the A's and he went to the Red Sox and played for those teams. You had a really good player. You made a blockbuster deal. You were a part of one. You really didn't get anything out of them. Um, you know, he made a minor trade. I think it might have been. I think it might have been he traded Graybaugh to Chicago. And he got Josh Harrison thrown into a deal. Yeah, that was a great trade. But the deals like, well, I guess even I'm thinking about it now, he traded Nate McLeod, he got Char- Charlie Morton back in the deal. Yeah. But if you go back and you look at most of the supposed big trade chips that Huntington had in his first couple of years, that, they did not get players back in those deals that led to 13, 14, and 15 being great seasons you look at those teams, Marte, they signed. McCutcheon was drafted. Walker was drafted. Alvarez was drafted. Cole was drafted. Burnett was a salary dump by the Yankees. Liriano, great signing. Martin, great signing. It's not as if the trades they made while rebuilding Craig made them a great team. Yeah. So you're right. You're right to say Cleveland, they got two star not all-stars, but they got two starting players back for Lindor. Their starting middle infield is Rosario, and I, 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 the second baseman's head's escaping me here. But they got two starting players back for Lindor. Combined, they're better players. So kudos to the Guardians for doing that. But. Even the last time the Pirates did a successful rebuild, it wasn't really because of the players that they traded. It was more the guys that they drafted and more the guys they signed in free agency on the cheap.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's where it's like I mean there is no correct way or right way or you know blueprint to to complete a rebuild. I, I just think that a lot of people when when Charrington came in we're like he's doing this different because he's you know trading for these lottery ticket guys these high-end guys um and that hoping that they will work out well we we know when you look at prospect lists and it's like a a high-risk trade or a a high-risk player that you know yeah he could boom but man that there is just as much chance that he could bust you ever see me out and about in pittsburgh you will always recognize me and not just because of the white beard but also because of the why that is always on top of my head the hat i always wear the Yins brand proud partners with bucks in the basement three dynasties one brand yinz finally one brand to rep all black and gold follow at shop Yins for new merch drops and giveaways order online at WW Shop Yin's, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yin's by a Yinzer.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I think that one of the other aspects of, you know, trying to get to that point where we're super invested in the season and we think that the Pirates can actually do something with expanded playoffs. And, you know, it's easier to make the playoffs now than it ever has been before. Uh, we saw what the Phillies have done is the last team in, but, you know, I think everybody started 2022, like, Hey, let's just see these core players make a uh, stride. Let's just see them take steps towards being really good major league players. That's why the Cabrian Hayes thing. I know he was a gold glove finalist with Due. He's a really good defensive player. But I'm super disappointed in what he did offensively. You know, what is so bizarre to me, Craig, is that this pirates regime has had a reputation because they know they're not winning right now. They don't really want to. They've been so careful with injuries in protecting players, that when Hayes came out at the end of the year and basically said, I played the entire year hurt, that's why my offensive numbers were so bad. Well, what the hell is that all about? Which one is it? Are they shutting guys down and protecting guys because, you know, there's a bigger picture in mind? Or are they kind of taking more of a tough tough love, go out there and play every day? Approach. I just found those comments. I it felt like Hayes wanted to make excuses for the season
0: that he had,
1: and the problem with that, Craig, is that for a lot of casual fans, the biggest memory or the biggest thing they'll remember about him this year is the stupid sunflower seed thing. And so, I just think like it it, it compounds things when there's a lack of hustle play that everybody sees. And then you make an excuse for yourself at the end of the year. I don't know. I wanted to leave 2022 thinking that Key Brian Hayes was going to be a star player. And I have my doubts about that now.
0: Yeah, and and I, 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 with me, everybody knows my stance on Key Brian Hayes. I think that Key Brian Hayes offensively can only get a little bit better. Uh, just from watching him in the minors and, and taking out that, you know, unbelievable September at the end of 2020, Brian Hayes has always been a fairly average offensive player. And and that's almost all that you can really ask for. It's just been that when the Pirates have made signings previously um, with Andrew McCutcheon and, and extending him, Andrew McCutcheon became an MVP player. Starling Marte. You know, when they extend him, Starling Marte becomes, you know, the right hand man to Andrew McCutcheon and and is just like one of the best players on your team, like and an all star. You're hoping for the same thing with Polanco before he got injured, instead of like making the I I don't know, like we've almost called it like a it's spending a lot for the pirates, but it's actually a, a fairly safe way to guarantee around four wins above replacement. Every single
1: season. Yeah. And I hear that, and I think that you can live with Hayes. Like, I'll take Hayes if Cruz gives me above-average offensive production at shortstop. Like, ideally, when you build a team the traditional way, is that the offense comes from third and the defense comes from short. Yeah. Well, it's – if it's flipped and your shortstop doesn't kill you defensively and he puts up big, giant numbers and your third baseman you know, plays defense like Nolan Arenado, like, I, have a, I have an easier time accepting that because at the end of the day, you're getting what you want from those two positions. It's just kind of flipped. Do you know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Like if, T.
1: Brian, if T. Brian Hayes was a shortstop, you know, he'd be like Andrelton Simmons or somebody like that, where, you know what, you hit your 250 or 260 with like 13 home runs and like a 725 OPS. I'll take that because you're saving runs for me every game. But it's just, it's different when it's a third baseman. You always want to be great up the middle defensively. Shortstop is by far, they've done studies on it. Shortstop and catcher are by far the two most important defensive positions, by far. And third base is probably like fourth behind center field. So I don't really agree with paying a premium for third base defense, but you made a good point. You're really not when you compare it to what other teams are, are paying for the analytics of what Hayes gives you in totality at third base.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's the big thing is is that you know the way that Sherrington's, you know trying to to gather wins and not doing it in in some ways and not doing it in like the regular fashion or, or the way that everybody else does it. But Andrew, I want to go back to you know if if this year is you know another quote unquote you know they're just kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Then you only have two more years of Brian Reynolds in center field. And I've heard, like, everybody saying he's not being traded this offseason. He's he's staying here. He's going to be here in 2023. But then my question is, are we just hoping for a great year from Brian Reynolds so he can get a nice trade return in 2024, the offseason?
1: Yeah. You're, I, I, hey, I would have said to you, probably when Cruz got called up and it looked like some of these young players Contreras at the major league level. Like, I didn't think... I think I got excited when they had their midseason spurt there. Like, hey, you still have arbitration years with this guy. Keep him around. But I, I am... It's 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 a real struggle for me when Henry Davis basically had a throwaway year, Nick Gonzalez had a throwaway year. I think Pugero's good, but I think he's probably just a guy defensively that moves, maybe Cruz to another position. I think he'll be a pretty good shortstop. I'm not going to put you know a huge label on him, but I just don't Priest or two I'll throw in there as a you know, hopefully a top of the rotation guy. But Craig, correct me if I'm wrong, but outside of like Rodriguez, who was such a revelation this year, and Burroughs had a good year too. The guys that were regarded as the Pirates top prospects, like none of them had great minor league seasons.
0: No, it, like, it's none
1: of them had a, none of them had a year that's like, oh crap, this guy's knocking down the door to get called up early next year. Nobody did that. So because that didn't happen, I think you've got to be more aggressive about looking for what you can get back in a trade for Brian Reynolds because 2023 just doesn't seem like a year where the young players click and, hey, you know, if things go, you can be the Guardians next year. Like, I just don't see that potential now for them because none of those guys that you really are... are, your host to really took a big step forward in 2022. If it's
0: Wednesday and I'm grabbing the mic, if it's Sunday, I'm grabbing some wings, watching the Steeler game. Baseball's in the offseason, but there is no offseason at Patrick's Pub and Grill. Patrick's Pub and Grill, 1207, Spring Run Road Extension, Moon Township, PA, 15108, daily drink specials. So sit down on the patio, grab yourself a beer, and enjoy. Yeah, and you're almost – I mean, if you're hoping for, like, a Guardians-type turnaround, it's – I don't have a lot of hope for that For when we're discussing that this offseason – and correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, it's sounding like that this offseason is going to be a lot like the previous offseasons.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, if, if Gonzalez and Davis had had huge years at Altoona and the thought was they're going to start the year at AAA – and maybe they'll be up in June or July, and you've got like um like the Orioles catcher, uh the Orioles catcher. What's his name? Adley Rushman or something yeah. like that. You know, like the season they had this past year. You know, if you thought those guys were they're they're almost here, look out! They're not going to come. They're not going to break camp. They're not going to come north with the team out of tr- out of spring training, but just. Wait a, few, wait a couple of months and these guys will be here, then I'd say it makes sense to keep Reynolds. Give, it, give a young team a shot. Don't, don't get rid of their best all-around player. But I don't know, man. Reynolds came on enough in the second half of the season where I think I would want to try to sell high with him. So that's where I'm at with Reynolds right now. And I've been on the record about that with Bednar, too.
0: Oh, and that's I, hey, I, I was about to bring him up. and And me and you are like probably the only people in Pittsburgh that are on the same page when it comes to that. as as soon as as soon as Bednar started having like the little bit of the back issue, I was like, I, I was like, "I love the dude. It's a great story. I love when Renegade plays at the game. I love his fire. You know, he's, yeah. he's, doing, he's doing beer bongs at Steeler games with Steeler fans. Like, I'm just like, this guy is Pittsburgh. Yep. But he's also a potential elite closer on a 100-loss team. Yep.
1: Exactly. And it, it's been proven. The Pirates just look at them year by year. They'll find somebody to get three outs at the end of the game. You know, outside of a out like a, 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 kind of an outlier year here and there, whether it's Jose Mesa or Mike Williams for a year or two, or Joel Hanrahan or Mark Melanson or Jason Grilly, uh, they'll find somebody to get those last three outs. And the only reason why it's even, in my opinion, the debate or discussion. It's because of all the points you just made.
0: Yeah,
1: and that's one where you know the front office has to weigh a decision that might temporarily offend the paying customer. You know, I understand he's got family here and friends. That's great. You know that, that they get to see his games the same way Neil Walker's family did, et cetera. But. Nobody builds their team around a closer, and outside of the people that are close to David Bednar, nobody buys tickets to go see a guy pitch the ninth inning.
0: And, and, and potentially pitch the ninth inning. <laughs> potentially. Yeah. Like, And yeah. that's the big thing exactly. is, is, I mean, it's just like how there's games where it's like, okay, David Bednar, he needs to pitch this week because there hasn't been a save opportunity for, you know, over a week or should we got to got to get him into this game and you can't really play you can't really play Renegade when you're down 8 to 2 in the 8th inning and he's coming in just to get work.
1: Yeah, and and you also that nobody wants to hear this because he's a great guy, he's a super dude. I like David Bednar the person a lot. Okay? But let's remember, he was a late-round pick from, like, Lehigh. Uh, He was not a top prospect. When the Pirates traded for him, they never imagined that he would be, that he would ever have this kind of season. He was a throw-in. Right. So, like, you know, repeat performance in sports, it can happen. But we've seen with relief pitchers, there's no getting We might have already seen the best David Bednar has to offer. That's why I wanted them to trade him so badly last year. you got to strike while the iron's hot with guys like that. And I just felt like they let the sentimental stuff, him being an all-star, him being from Pittsburgh, I just felt like from the outside looking in that they let that interfere with their decision-making around the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, and, and, Andrew, before I let you go here, I just wanted to go back to one other thing that you said that has now sent me into a deep Pirates depression for, for the rest of the off season. <laughs> oh, no. is that oh. when when you were like, okay, like Leo Peguero, which Chris and I during the last show kind of brought up, like the, the poor season that he had had, we're hoping for more offensively, you know, defensively, the, the guy is going to be just fine. The scouts, I'm hearing that. Yeah. So now if if we move O'Neal Cruz or he gets moved off of shortstop and you have a defensive-minded third baseman, a defensive-minded shortstop, we were okay earlier in our discussion with having Cruz make up for, you know, the lack of offense at third base. But now if you have a whole left side of the field that – is just all defensive-minded, and then possibly, I mean, I've heard things about, like, a G1 Bay move to center field and getting, you know, Reynolds to an outfield corner. Where is this offense coming from?
1: Well, they don't have any power whatsoever. There's no power. I actually think – I I understand that, you know, you wanted a guy with some team control – that was a younger pitcher that you thought might have some upside who was having a good year, even though he's not a young guy, Holderman. But I really don't get the Vogelback trade. Like, nobody cared when it got made. Like, there was not really – there was a lot of ambivalence to that trade. It was like, all right, you just kind of expected it. But I don't think there was enough said about his team option for this year. Yeah. I think it's a million and a half. Like –
0: And and you basically created a hole where you didn't have to create a hole, and you basically let him play DH when the man the year before played a decent amount of games at first base for the Brewers, and you just let him be the DH. We were saying before the year, if you brought in Yoshi and you brought in Vogelback, I'm fine with that, because you're hoping that at least one of those works out to cover for the next year because you have nobody else coming up.
1: Well, now you've created a
0: hole that – never needed to be created.
1: Right. And I just don't, I mean, Holderman talking thing about that trade too, was I think he was four. not that win loss record means much of anything, but he was four and oh with the Mets, a good team. And you got him and you sent him right down to Indianapolis. Like the whole, the, the, the circumstances. And then what they did once that trade was made with the player, I still don't really understand much. So Vogelback, we know what he is. He's a three true outcome guy. Not much defensively, but he's a lefty with a short porch that can pop home runs at PNC Park. Yeah. And he was super cheap. You just gave that away. Um,
0: yeah. And we and and, and I said,
1: fine. go ahead.
0: I said the only reason, the only way that trade makes sense to me is if they build Holderman back up and give him a shot to start, like they did for Zach Thompson, like they're doing for, uh, Johan Oviedo. Um, people that, I mean, he came up through the system as a starter and had transitioned to the bullpen. And that's the only way that trade made sense to me. And if it, if that's not the route they were taking, then to trade him, when you had him under control for another year for a bullpen piece makes absolutely no sense.
1: No. And so... I mean, it's obvious based on the way you just laid it out, that at least right now they see themselves that's gonna win with pitching and fielding, but you've gotta find a way to manufacture some easy runs. Yeah. And I just don't I don't see that in their organization now, maybe you wanna say with the you know, electric strikes with the computerized strike zone eventually coming in with the shifting rules that maybe teams that hit for contact you know, in the next two or three years will have a better chance than they do now. But that's really hard to forecast, and I don't really think they're thinking two or three steps ahead. Um, power is expensive. It's really hard to get. For a team like the Pirates, you really have to just draft it. And I just don't see enough of it in the pipeline, so – yeah, I understand where your depression's coming from, Craig, because just hearing it, just talking it out with you right now kind of paints a pretty bleak picture as far as that goes, and that's the name of the game right now. you got to be able to hit home runs.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got to get your offense someplace, and like you said, it's almost just like the quick, you know, get get the runs back instead of having to work and steal and do all kinds of other stuff. Um, I understand if, if even if they are thinking a couple steps ahead, it's gambling that the game is going to move the way that you think it's going to move. And if it doesn't, then you're left with a team with no power, fairly decent defense, and you know guys that can maybe get on base, and you're hoping you can pitch your way to the playoffs. Because once you get to the playoffs, as we've seen... It's always reverts back to, I mean, home runs are king, but pitching is, is, it's like 1A and 1B in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Shelton and the people that he has working underneath him, I think the last couple of months, you know, at least from the outsider's perspective, probably saved those guys. You know, Keller's progression, not that Marine gets really a lot of credit for that, but you know he looks like he's now at least moving, relatively speaking, in the right direction. A guy like Castro coming on late in the year, Cruz putting a lot of it together, kind of saved the hitting coach's backside. But I do think it's int- It'll be very. One of the one sh- of the storylines to me of the Pirates' offseason, Craig, will be if they give Shelton an extension.
0: Oh, that's because
1: man. If if they don't, I will. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the record right now with you. I will be stunned if they don't give him a one or two year extension because all they've said are positive things about him. Charrington talks about how much he loves working with the guy. He's a great partner. If you make him go into the last yeah, if you make him go into the final year of his contract, then you're pretty much telling the guy, I gotta see something from you. I need better results. We need to see progress, and their statements, their public statements, would say they love the job he's doing, and that they would reward him with something that doesn't kind of put him under a microscope and put him on the hot seat. Now I see the changes in this town. They change. They say one thing, but.